everyone. This is Cheryl Marie Powell Esquire, Cannabis Agricultural Dietary Supplement and Trade Attorney. Welcome back to Terps in the City. We are a podcast that really talks about all things cannabis. This season, we're really focusing on the New York market because I am moving to New York, moving back to New York. I'm a native New Yorker, and there's so much going on with their emerging industry that I want to be a part of it. I want to contribute. I want to bring my talents to the state of New York. With that said, on today's episode, we have a very special guest. Um, Our guest is Beth Waterfall. She is a highly regarded industry professional. She has done so much in the industry. She's from the state of Massachusetts, but she is doing events all over the Northeast. You want to be a part of this. Let's hear from Beth. We fortunately uh, got a chance to meet up in New York. So welcome to Terps in the City, Beth. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about New York. You were up there or or you would be down, coming down from Massachusetts for the MJ Unpack conference. How was that for you? Yeah, I took the old Acela train right on down to, to Midtown and was excited. It was my second time there this month. I had been there earlier for my first ever New York Cannabis Conference. It was the Luxury Meets Cannabis Conference, which was just kind of a a different experience from most of the events that I've been to in the cannabis space, but also just a really lovely entree to New York for me. It was kind of fancy, but nice to see some familiar faces and get to know a little bit about the New York space. But coming back most recently last week to MJ Unpacked in New York, that was definitely more intensive, more people, more programming really related to building up businesses, really great opportunity to see some of the brands that are either coming out of New York or wanting to come into New York. And that was really my interest in coming there out of Massachusetts to see what's coming out of, of New York. It's obviously, or maybe not obviously, but New York has a very active cannabis industry already. Folks in Massachusetts probably are still getting cannabis from New York on the the legacy market here. And so it was really exciting to be able to meet some of the operators that are in the legacy space and some that are coming out of there into the regulated space and to be at an event that was so welcoming of that. Beautiful. Yeah, it was it was a great event. I thought that they did a great job with MJ Unpacked. I, I missed the Vegas one. I did attend the LPP, Last Prisoner Project. Shout out to the Last Prisoner Project event in Vegas. I was fortunate to be a plus one for that event. And I was determined to be at their next event, which is New York. And it was a hit. Now, you come from that event planning space. So hmm. the fact that you thought it was a great event means a lot because you plan these events. And, and you do great events. NECAN is like one of my favorite events of the year. NECAN Boston. Of course, there are a number of NECANs that take place. Can you talk about some of the NECAN locations? Absolutely. And thank you for the, your kind words about NECAN. NECAN, the New England Cannabis Network, stands. that's what the, it stands for. They've been a part of my life since I got into the cannabis industry back in 2015. I had been working in a law firm and, excuse me, I was at an accounting firm at that time. That's what it was. And I saw that there was this cannabis convention coming to Massachusetts. I hadn't been particularly satisfied in my career facing becoming the chief marketing officer of an accounting company, which to family and, and folks that I'd grown up with, that would be very impressive, but it just wasn't fulfilling for me. And so this, I saw something online about this cannabis convention in Boston and thought, 
while I, I love cannabis, maybe there's an opportunity for me to my refined skills, my sophisticated marketing skills, and just to learn. So 2015, that was before we had uh, regulation here in Massachusetts. And it was just kind of the the universe opening things up for me at the perfect time. I was able to meet people at the convention, just learn. My eyes were just opened up, my mind blown to what this industry was and what it was going to be. And so after the show, I connected with some of the speakers, but then also connected with the president of NECAN, Mark Shepard, and said, hey, I'm trying to get into this cannabis space. I'm really excited about it. I have a lot to contribute. Is there anything I can do for the conference? Because I do events and marketing and in the accounting and, and legal space. And he was gracious to say, hey, I've got this old blog that we haven't been doing anything. Do you want to take that over? And I started just blogging for, for NECAN, just little things about news and in, in cannabis. And then fast forward to where I am now with NECAN, I'm now the programming director where I oversee the educational programming. So I'm not necessarily involved in the uh, expo hall or the sponsorships. It's really on the educational side, which is perfect for me because I know how much cannabis related education transformed my life in that kind of environment. Uh, so I take it really seriously and see it as just almost like a responsibility to carry that forward for other folks. And so um, I'm, I'm very thoughtful about who the speakers are, what the topics are, people apply. We also recruit people to speak, reach out to people because it's just a responsibility to educate people and help them know what's going on in the industry, know what's going on on the advocacy side of things, know what's coming in from other states or other countries sometimes, but just helping people be prepared with information so they can make whatever decisions are best for them, whether that's consuming cannabis for a medical purpose or getting a job, or starting a business, or becoming an investor, or for folks that are in the ancillary side, people that are vendors servicing the cannabis industry, just helping them understand the nuances and get to know the people that can really help their, them succeed or where they can help others succeed. So I really love my work with NECAN, working right now in Chicago. So it started with Boston. We've done other uh, events across New England, but for this year, the next event's going to be in Chicago, then Albany. There's also a Burlington event, Atlantic City, and then Portland, Maine. And then we'll be back focused on Boston 2023. <laughs> that's fantastic. And when you say Albany, that's Albany, New York. So you Albany, New York. You yes. New York event plan. Albany is um, where all the legislative activity takes place. So it's such a, a, a great location for, for NECAN. You... Um, spoke br briefly about the legacy operators in, in New York. I think Joe Bondi said it best in my, one of my last episodes. He said, New York is the epicenter for mm -hmm. cannabis. And I think that is so true. A lot of the legacy activity does flow through, through New York. And some of my work is around integrating the legacy operators into the legal space. So I've been doing a lot of that work lately, meeting with legacy operators. And they're really enthusiastic about bringing their talent, their skills, their expertise into the legal cannabis industry. And that way we can avoid having a dual market like we see in, in some of the other markets, especially out West. So yeah. that's going to take everyone to, to be on board with that. When, when you talk about educational programming, that's a very, it can be lucrative, but very important part of the ancillary space of our industry. So everyone's looking at licensure and getting licenses, but to carve out a space in education where you have educational events across the Northeast. I think you added Oklahoma this year as well. You did an Oklahoma event so that you're bringing that type, that level and quality of education to more parts of the nation. So we appreciate that work. What's the most rewarding or what's the, I would say, what's the most memorable experience that you've had at one of these conferences that you've helped curate? 
So my most memorable event, it's not necessarily at a conference, but it was at a networking event in the cannabis space. And this was very early when I first started getting involved with cannabis. I knew from working with executives, the value of reputation, business development, of thought leadership, of being respected and seen as a leader and somebody that was trustworthy in the space. So where I'd been training lawyers and uh, financial executives to do that, I thought, well, let me do that for myself. So the first, one of the first things I did was try to find a women's networking event uh, or women's networking group in cannabis. And there was one that needed some leadership in, in Boston. They had started it in Boston. And for whatever reason, they hadn't been successful. But there was an opportunity, again, just the universe aligning <laughs> with uh, the right timing for me. I reached out. And they said, well, actually, we need somebody to, to lead our, our Boston group here. And so I said, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know much about cannabis, but I know how to organize events. I know how to bring people together. I know how to develop an agenda and curriculum for an actual event. So I took it on and I was able to meet a bunch of other women. And again, this was before we had legalization here in Massachusetts. This is 2015 going into 2016. And I remember at one of these events, there, there was I was the host, really. And so I take on the responsibilities of planning, but also making people feel comfortable. And I remember I was at the front of the room while the speakers were presenting. And I saw this woman standing in the corner of the back of the room. And so my first thought was, oh, she doesn't look particularly comfortable. I want to just make sure I at least you know, say hi to her, uh, make her feel welcome, see if she needs anything. And I, I walked up to her and I introduced myself. And she was almost afraid of me. Like you could tell she was just so uncomfortable and like didn't know what to say to me because I was really outgoing and excited to be there. And she said to me, and I'm going to paraphrase, but basically like she, she said, I shouldn't be here. If my husband knew that I was here or, or if her ex-husband knew that he, she was there, basically that could mean, and I'm getting the chills even talking about it basically like something about how he could take her daughter and how terrible that would be for her. Right. And I don't have children. And that was like one of the most critical moments in my career because I thought, wow, what an opportunity I have to be a voice for these women that aren't comfortable speaking up, that see the opportunity, that have some passion in this space. But because it's not legal yet, because of maybe where she lived, she couldn't talk about it. And she couldn't really be out there about it. So that was something that I took on like, hey, I look like a mom. People sometimes think I'm a mom. So I'm just going to go out there. And I ended up creating with uh, former Commissioner Shaleen Title and some other women here in Massachusetts. It was Massachusetts Mothers for the Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana. And we did this group just to educate, really reach out to, to mothers and women in particular, as we had a uh, question for on the ballot here in Massachusetts just trying to, you know, reach women and, and let them know that it was okay to be open to this, that it was okay to be curious in this space, whether they were going to use cannabis, whether they were going to support somebody else who used it, please vote yes. You know, that there's a lot right. of maligned people here. And I'd like to think we were, we were effective in many ways with that group. And some of the women that were involved have gone on to do really incredible things in this space. But one of the, the funniest things for me was in all that, again, I, I'm not a mom, but I never, I didn't really co correct people when they said that I was because I wanted to carry that and and, and just use it as best as I could. Well, as well. And yeah, yeah. And there was uh, this one night we were at a at the state house at a, a press conference or something, some sort of rally. And I remember Fox News talked to me and I got home later that night and on the news, like before at the commercial was saying, coming up next, a Rockland mom, something or other. And they just kind of positioned it that I was a mother, but I was talking about how cannabis had been laced with fentanyl, had been found in town. 
And basically I was saying, this is what our kids have access to. This is what people have access to if we're not regulating and moving this into a regulated, tested place. So just that, again, I'm not, I'm not a mom, but being able to be a voice for people that maybe felt like they couldn't speak up at a time where we were in that kind of precarious, almost legal place. And now to look back and, and see that same exact woman doing great things and being more open about her cannabis, it was just one of those super impressionable moments to learn about her, that perspective to be in her shoes. I appreciate you sharing that. And th- that work is really important. There are a lot of people who are still in the cannabis closet. Custodial rights was a huge, or, or losing custodial rights was a was collateral damage to the war on drugs. A lot of people don't talk about that. We talk a lot about the incarcerations and things like that, which is important. Social justice is very important. However, when you look at people not being involved in the movement because they're afraid of losing custody of their kids, yeah. the amount of people who have lost custody of their kids because they were found with even small amounts of, of cannabis and the fact that a lot of those children went into abusive environments. Mm. So it's like the love of your children keeps you from being out with your or your cannabis usage. For, for, fortunately, after we've gone through the period of legalization, we're seeing where the judicial process has changed. And because cannabis is legal, judges aren't considering it the same way. But it's not often on the books as far as that being a mandate, it really is still up to judicial discretion in in many markets. So that's really powerful, powerful work that you've done. And we met, you were doing a online education event. I want, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your work with Elevate and Elevate Massachusetts and and that work. And before we do that, do you remember, recall the date for the Albany event? And if not, can you uh, at least share the website so people can find it in, in New York? Because a lot of people from New York follow this show. So we want to make sure they can take advantage, get it on their calendars to meet up with you and, and have that NECAN experience. Absolutely. So it's at the Albany Capital Center in Albany, August 26th through 27th, 2022. So it's coming up. And if folks are interested in participating in that event, like I mentioned, I'm on the educational side of things. There's certainly sponsorship and expo opportunities. But if you want to be a part of that educational component, if you go to NECAN.com, there's a speaker application on there where you can, it's pretty simple form, just who you are, what you're going to talk about, and what people will take take away from that, what people will learn. And that's such a huge part of when I'm evaluating these things. What are people going to learn? What are they going to get out of this? So I definitely welcome and encourage folks to, to put their hat in the ring there. And it's a wonderful way, not only to, to touch others and empower others, but if you're building your business in New York, where this is a new new regulated space, getting on a stage is a, is a great way to elevate your uh, thought leadership presence and to just meet people. The people in the audience, may be inclined to ask you questions, want to connect with you. And then just the value of being able to promote that you're part of an educational event like that can help your your followings on social and everything. So it's, again, the getting involved in thought leadership. And what a great opportunity, too, as the, the regulations are still being developed for New York. It's a great time for people to really start making their mark and getting known for the good stuff that they're doing. Fantastic. I will definitely be filling out one of those forms and I'll encourage the legacy guys we're working with to, I'd to, love that. to be involved. That's Let's do a legacy panel. Uh, let's do a legacy panel. Let's put that together. So we'll we'll talk offline about what that looks like. And Love I'm it. pretty excited about that. So consider mark your calendars, August 26th to 27th. Be in Albany. We're calling the whole state of New York together to educate. We're, we're hoping for participation from 
our legislators who, who will be in the area. And so be there so your voice can be heard, but also get educated and understand what the next level of your advocacy will look like. So with that said, because Beth wears so many hats, I wanted to talk about her work with Elevate because that's kind of how we connected. And then I found out this whole NECAN opportunity existed. <laughs> All the stuff. But she is a force in the state of Massachusetts, specifically in the city of Boston. And you want to make sure that if you're in that area or you're traveling through Boston, check in with Elevate to see if there's an event you can pop into. So please, Beth, speak about that. Thanks, Cheryl. So I mentioned, or maybe I didn't, but I, my my work is certainly the events, but in a nutshell, it's really marketing, marketing work that I do. And I'm trying to change perceptions. That's what marketing is. We educate people about something to make them do something, whether that's making a purchase, doing a download. Marketing is education and changing perception. And so I have this career behind me of doing that. So taking a set of facts and communicating it to an audience to get them to do what we want them to do. And past for me, that was hire a lawyer, hire our accounting services, that type of thing. But I didn't realize coming into cannabis immediately was how valuable that that could be. And so as I was moving along in, in uh, cannabis, I mentioned that I'd been working with the women's networking group. And that really just evolved for us more locally into realizing, hey, this isn't just about getting women involved in the cannabis industry. And this was part of my education too. I was really excited about women getting involved because I was a woman and I wanted to get involved. But the more women that I met that were from different backgrounds from mine, people that lived in the city, people that were from different racial backgrounds that were working on my team or coming as attendees, it was very clear to me also that men that were from different backgrounds, men that had, whether they qualified for the social equity programs or not, whether they were a minority or not, there was still opportunity. And I, I, I just hated my old job. And just so the excitement of helping others connect with something that could help them feel more fulfilled in their life was very exciting to me regardless of who they were. But we ended up creating Elevate Northeast on the website is elevatene.org, really to provide a place for kind of regardless of where you were from, if you were interested in learning about cannabis and you're interested in collaborating with other good people to do good work in this space, then come on board. Like, let's, let's get together. Let's learn together. Let's support each other's businesses and all that. And Elevate really is, at the end of the day, a public relations campaign because we went through the work to become a 501c3, which was a little tenuous at the time. And I understand it's been harder for others to get that 501c3 designation from the IRS, but the universe, whatever, the timing was right. It worked for us. And so as a 501c3, there are some limitations, but also opportunities for us because we get approached by individuals that are asking us to push and promote their specific business in their town or to maybe support a specific piece of legislation. But as a 501c3, we're limited in our lobbying ability. And we just have to remind folks, we exist to educate people about the industry. So different areas of the industry, introduce them to different people, let them know about the issues that are happening legislate, legislatively, but we're not telling them what to do. We exist just to inform, empower, and let them make their own decisions as a 501c3. So we're not a lobbying group. We're not an industry association group. We just exist to educate. And really, the way we differentiate ourselves, I think, is that we're not made for people in the cannabis industry necessarily. Certainly, our events welcome them, and we utilize them for our, for our thought leaders. We want them to be a part of it because by demonstrating and living in front of others that they are a successful person or that they are, you know, chasing a dream and making things happen in the cannabis space that helps people that aren't already familiar with it just maybe say, hey, 
that person looks like me or who I went to high school with that person. Oh, they're not crazy. They're not terrible. They're not in jail. But then also we try to reach out to communities uh, where people maybe aren't already inclined to learn about the cannabis industry. So before COVID, we had done some beautiful events where we were going into community centers. We'd bring some hot food, uh, bring in some speakers and really just make it basic. So what is marijuana? What is THC? What is CBD? We're not telling them how to get 280, get around 280E and how to build a team and that type of stuff. It's really just trying to break stigma and empower people to decide for themselves if they want to walk into a dispensary, decide for themselves if they want to support a business that's coming into their town, decide for themselves if they want to participate in one of the programs that the Cannabis Control Commission has put together to help empower them and connect them with resources if they wanted to have a business. And then also empower them to, if they wanted to start a business, then they they know the resources, they know where to go to do it, and they've met people through us that can help them get that all done. Beautiful. What are the, with your marketing background, what are the common missteps that, you know, young emerging cannabis companies make as they're entering the space? What are the things that you would caution against? I mean, there's there's a lot of them, Cheryl. One of the first ones, and this kind of may seem kind of counterintuitive for somebody in marketing, but I get contacted from or contacted by young companies sometimes or young entrepreneurs really just starting out their their team and they want to talk about me being their chief marketing officer. And I have to tell them it's too early for you to spend money on a marketing professional. I can help you with a couple things, get your logo, get your URL. Here's a couple basic things, but you do not need to be paying marketing right now. You need to be paying your attorney. You need to be looking at your real estate. You need to be setting up the stuff that's going to get you across the finish line. A pretty logo isn't there right now. At some point, yes, let's get there. But people think we're just going to set up a, a website and we'll have a business and people will come. That's not necessarily the case. So often it's like, hey, let's talk in a few months. Now just isn't the time. You you don't need to waste your money on me. Another big mistake that we see people making is maybe getting a little too late on that kind of thing. So we see this sometimes or a lot of time with names. So entrepreneur Joe wants to start a business that's Boston Weed Company or whatever it happens to be. And they're going through all this stuff. Maybe they've made some t-shirts. Maybe they're going to some events, spending money on this stuff. And then when they get uh, to the point where they, they're bringing on a lawyer or getting to a point where they really want to start documenting this all officially, they realize, oh, wait, that company name or that URL is already taken. So then they have to start getting creative around the company name or getting a weird URL that just isn't going to really necessarily help people find them. So I don't know, it, it's kind of like you can be too early, you can be too late. And then a huge thing, particularly in a state like Massachusetts or California, Colorado, where there's already an established market, people think that, oh, we're going to open our doors and there's going to be a line, there's going to be media attention, everybody's going to be here. And we're really at a place where it's it has to be more than build it and they will come. You've got to build the team, but maybe marketing isn't something that you need immediately, but it's also something you can't wait until after licensing to, to look at. And I, I love what you said about the URLs. Like I own like 300 domains and a lot yeah. of them for like years, but they do come in handy. And there's some things I'm like, I'm so glad I I, I uh, purchased that years ago because like blackhempfarmers.com, like things mm, like that. Like good. it was so critical to, and I still haven't utilized it, but I know exactly how I want to. Or you could yeah. sell it someday if it wasn't or I can sell it, Or I can yeah. sell it one day, but it's really important when I'm working with, even with legacy operators and they're starting their brands and some legacy operators I'm working with to start a nonprofit, 
what's what's the right URL if that name is gone? So anyone who has wants to brainstorm and, and book some time with Beth to really talk about your your brand identity and developing that and, and your marketing strategy, please reach out to Beth and we'll make sure that her contact information uh, is included in, in the show notes. So let's talk about Massachusetts a little bit. Very on the East Coast, very mature market. I know when you start in 2015, you were like, you didn't expect Massachusetts to be like the role model <laughs> for all these other new adult use markets. But I listen in on a lot of like CCB, CCC, CRC calls, and all of them are saying, and we looked at the Massachusetts regulations. And yep. so it really is being used as the model. Another milestone is uh, uh, this week I read that Massachusetts hit $3 billion in yeah. sales. That's nuts for something that yeah. was uh, forbidden. Just imagine all the good that can come from that in the community. So congratulations for your work in Massachusetts and congratulations to the state of Ma- Massachusetts for hitting that important milestone. With that said, coming from a mature market and looking at New York, what do you think what do you anticipate? What are your predictions about next steps and maybe some of the hurdles that have to be overcome? Yeah, well, I think if we look at what Massachusetts is doing now to kind of clean up some of the maybe misses in, in the original regulations is, is a great way, great place to start. And this week, also in addition to that announcement about the $3 billion sales figure, which is impressive and humongous, but also opens a bunch of questions like, oh, where's what are we doing with the, the tax revenue there? But we're getting some clarity in that regard. So this week in Massachusetts, the House passed uh, a bill that had been previously passed by the Senate here in Massachusetts, kind of an omnibus legislation related to cannabis specifically. And so what they were, what was decided, and now next it's, so basically there was the House and the Senate bills, and they've overwhelmingly passed each chamber, but now they need to reconcile that into a draft bill to give to the governor. But the big things that they're in agreement on and that we hope the governor is in in agreement on is 20% of the marijuana regulation fund. So the taxes from selling that $3 billion of marijuana, that's going to be dedicated to social equity and economic empower applicants, loans and grants. So 20% of that 3 billion of the tax revenue from that that 3 billion that would be a lot of money. It also establishes rules for social consumption and the host community agreements. This the host community agreements in particular is something I'd like to see other states like New York and others coming on really look at this. So when Massachusetts passed legalization back in uh, 2016, Part of that was this host community agreement fee where 3% of sales would go to the town in which that licensee operated. And the thinking behind that was that these cannabis businesses are going to cause such a disruption. They're going to need to hire all these new police people. They're going to have to put in new stop signs. They're going to have to do all sorts of stuff to offset the negative impact of cannabis so that they were entitled to this 3% fee. So fast forward to 2022 and even 2021, I think it was Northampton, Massachusetts was the first uh, city to say, hey, we don't we're not going to take this money anymore because these businesses have brought nothing but positive to our town. We have jobs for our people. They've they've cleaned up a neighborhood because they put in this beautiful facility that's clean and lit up and, and has cameras and we're able to use their camera footage to help catch something bad that happened. So Northampton was first. Then Lee, Massachusetts has done it as well. There was a lawsuit related to the the host community agreements. But basically what this new legislation that's been passed this week, what that does is basically it's requiring accountability on the community, the host community's part, where they have to actually document 
all of the negative things that they've had to utilize that impact fee for. So we're going to see those come down. And it also has a five-year cap. So after five years, they're not doing a community, a host community agreement fee anymore. And so those are the big things. And like I said, they're reconciling the two differences between the House and Senate bills, and they're going to send that to Governor Charlie Baker's desk. And it's expected that he'll sign it. But for folks like myself that have been in the game for a long time or a long enough time, I remember when COVID started and how Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker was the only governor in the whole country that put the put the, the stop on the regulated um, adult use cannabis market. So medical was allowed to continue selling, but adult use those stores were shut down because they were considered non-essential. Um, that was a time when we saw tons of people go towards the medical market. And it eventually came down. It was just like a, a month and a half or so that that ban was on. But I'm a little wary of Charlie Baker, I suppose, but hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And as we, there, there were a lot of, in the earlier days, corruption-related issues, especially when we're talking about the cities and, and people getting the opportunity to have business permits, business licenses in the city's variances, et cetera. And with that said, with New York coming on board, there's a lot of conversation about social equity and their ability to, to acquire spaces. I know New York has kind of publicized that the fund could, will be used for that, part, at least a part of the fund will be used to identify these spaces and then give favorable terms between the state and, and equity-related what are what are your thoughts on the the plan what are what are your thoughts on making sure that when it comes to real estate and approval from juris, from municipalities that the social equity and legacy operators get a a fair shake oh that's that's so important because what we've seen here in Massachusetts where the licensees are required to have their real estate secured before and I'm not a licensee, but it's at a very early part, like at application, they're supposed to have their their location. So we've seen applicants paying two, three, four years of rent to extortionist landlords that are putting this green tax on their their facility simply because it's a marijuana facility. So I would I would love to see other states not have that that real estate uh, requirement where they're they're paying for these spaces throughout the application process. I'd hope that it could be a situation where there's an LOI, some sort of agreement that they have in place that they're going to have the space and not that they have to pay for it. So that would that would be a huge burden lifted on these, these applicants because the space, I mean, whether they're starting a small delivery operation, retail operation, that's super expensive. But if, you know, somebody were trying to do a laboratory or something very large, I mean, my God, they'd, they'd be spending millions of dollars just to get across that finish line on real estate alone. So that would be that would be a huge thing. And I think anything, any sort of consideration that's made looking at particular neighborhoods where these businesses would be best best suited, not taking these legacy operators that are used to being and known for being successful and supplying a certain area. Now we're going to put them in some weird industrial park 50 miles away from where they're used to operating. That makes no sense. So that those would be a couple of things that I would hope New York would be looking at. Outstanding. Exactly the type of insight that I was expecting from you, Beth. Thank you so much. And I think with um, the New Jersey CRC, their approach to the real estate, I think they have more of a contingent license with a later real estate add-on for, for their social equity. So I think states are observing what you're observing, and it's good to see that. I know in Illinois, that was a huge issue as well, the multiple years with all the lawsuits and, and things like that, people paying rent for multiple years. So great insight yeah. there. I always like to ask, like, what can I do? What can the show do to support your efforts and 
and help you on your journey with this good work that you're doing. Oh, thanks so much, Cheryl. I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier for folks that want to come out to Albany for the, the New York Cannabis Convention in, in August. That would be wonderful. I hope to see you there. So supporting Elevate Northeast, we, we rely on donations from businesses and individuals to do our community outreach, which we're hoping to do more in person as we're coming out of COVID here. But we do have a virtual event coming up on June 2nd. It's called Recovery is Dope. Um, and really just talking about cannabis as a tool for people that are coming out of addiction. We also have a educational program that we do with Holyoke Community College in Massachusetts. Currently, the programs are virtual, so anybody can attend. But it's a cannabis core program for folks that want to get a leg up in the industry, whether they're going to be working for a cannabis business or starting a cannabis business or there's somebody who runs like an accounting firm or some sort of ancillary, whether it could be construction or accounting or cleaning services, just so they better understand the, the type of businesses and some of the regulatory limitations on working with them can be super valuable. We, we're doing a scholarship program for that, so donations can help us uh, put put uh, qualifying candidates into the program for free. And then we're also very excited to be announcing our social equity fund. I mentioned that the state is is working on one, <laughs> but Elevate Northeast, just given the, the dire need for, for, for funding for our social equity and economic empowerment businesses, we got a, a very generous donation from one of the vertically integrated operators here in Massachusetts. And we're going to be we're going to be holding a couple of events uh, later in the in the fall where people can apply and do a pitch and then win what we would hope to be a very sizable prize, not just like five that I mean five thousand dollars goes a long way, but <laughs> that's not paying for all the all the attorney bills and those real estate bills. So five figure prizes we're looking at, and really excited to be putting the the, the final final touches on that program and getting different businesses and individuals involved there. But yeah, supporting Elevate Northeast is huge, and uh, just go to NECAN and learn and connect. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for all that great work. I, I wasn't even aware of all the things that you're doing. Recovery is dope. That is huge. And I want to I wanna support as much as possible, possible looking at cannabis as an exit drug and, and helping people get off other, get, getting off addic- addictive medications. So thank you for that work. I always ask my guests one last question. And that question is, if there was anyone on the planet that you could meet that you think would take your work to the next level, like one person that if we could facilitate an introduction or maybe they're listening today, who would that one person be that if you could be introduced to them, you're sure that you can really exponentially grow the impact of what you're doing? My my first reaction is I'd go straight to the top. I'd want to sit down with the president, Mr. Biden, and Ooh. talk it all through. I've been so so lucky to meet so many wonderful people in, in the space here. But again, a lot of what I do is trying to normalize and build bridges into the the non-cannabis space. So I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'd go right to the top. <laughs> no, I think that's a great call. And when you when you talk to President Biden, are you going to more challenge on the campaign promises? Are you going to give him a legislative priorities list? What what would your strategy be? Oh my gosh, Cheryl, you and I would have to talk about that before I have that I meeting, it. right? You can be yeah, like, I, I believe it'll happen. I believe it'll happen. I think <laughs> when you put things out there, things will happen. And they're there in our industry, there's like one degree of separation. We're not mm. degrees of separation. So I, I thank you for your work. We're putting it out there that introduced to President Biden and get an opportunity to share your legislative priorities and really understand his roadmap to executing on campaign promises. And I, I just thank you for being on Terps in the City. This is what it's all about, really talking about people who are doing the work, a lot of unsung heroes in our industry, people that I am privileged in, in, because I journey so much and I travel so much, but a lot of people haven't met Beth Waterfall, but you should. And because she uh, provides this educational opportunity, 
in different cities, you really can get a chance to share space with Beth, contribute to the work that she's doing, and also promote where you need help in, in your particular cities, your jurisdiction. So I just want to thank you again. We're going to make sure all of your contact information is included in the show notes for to our audience. Thank you again for all the support. Thank you for tuning in for Turks in the City. And we're looking forward to an awesome season two. If you'd like to participate and be a guest on the show, you can direct message me or email me at smpesquire at outlook.com. Or, and if you're interested in being a sponsor, you can do the same. Direct message me. I'm very accessible. And we would love to have your support. So thank you for tuning in. This is Turks in the City. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.